HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right, it is Monday, and my microphone won't stay where it's supposed to. Uh, This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I am your host, Katie Kiefer. And uh, I'm very excited because I actually have a guest in the studio today. His name is Andrew F. Smith, otherwise known as Andy Smith, um, one of the most prolific writers in the food space. Um, But before we get to Andy, we have a few moments of joys and sorrows. Um... Because I have a new discovery. It is called the Environmental Health News. It is a free newsletter, and I've added that to my reading list along with the many, many other trades that I follow, and something called mangabay.com, another free newsletter, which I highly recommend. Um, Mangabay tracks environmental issues around the world, which is fascinating, um, and it's all original reporting. I like um, Environmental Health News because it aggregates news stories about agriculture, population, and environmental health. Um, So it's a slightly different focus and a slightly different style, but uh, they are both absolutely terrific, and like I said, they are free. Um, So if you want to just beef up your reading about the environment and about food production and uh, rainforests and so on, uh, subscribe to one or both of them. You're going to learn a lot. Okay, so the next item on my list of joys and sorrows is, of course, a sorrow, because basically it's a very sorrowful atmosphere out here. (laughs) Interlands. I mean, I, I can only say that having Trump out of the country for these brief few days is like it's like a breath of fresh air. I'm telling you, because you literally I don't know about the rest of you, but I spend my life sort of like <gasps> waiting for the next shoe to drop because he is just so scary. <clears throat> anyway, but the Washington Post published a lengthy article about just how much information is now missing from government websites. And it isn't just from the EPA website. Missing information has been observed at OSHA, um, which is the organization that occupational safety and health, uh, uh, whatever the A stands for, I can't remember. Um, Aeronautics. Aeronautics? Atmospheric. Really? No, that's NOAA. OSHA. Yeah, OSHA. OSHA is Occupational Safety and Health. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, My mind is not doing well. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dave. Um, But the Bureau of Land Management is also missing information that was once public. Uh, Information on waivers that are granted to lobbyists. This is particularly important, people. Um, Because, you know, there is a rule which Obama instituted and which uh, Trump has actually supported, which says that you cannot work in the administration if you have been a lobbyist uh, within two years prior. But there is also the possibility of issuing a waiver for that, and that he has been doing in spades, but he has not been able, you cannot see now who has been given a waiver, which was completely transparent on the Obama website. Um, So uh, there's that. There's also the federal supplier greenhouse gas management scorecard is gone. Animal welfare enforcement documents are gone. And of course, the White House visitors log, gone So, and to say nothing of what's missing from the EPA website. So this is not right, people. This is not right. Okay? Just 
just saying. And I'm sure we will see more things disappearing uh, as we go forward in this disastrous administration, which can not end soon enough. But then, of course, we have, you know, everybody's been talking about impeachment. And, and you know, it's like <laughs> the next five options are so ghastly that you, you sort of don't even want to impeach Trump. Um because then we get Pence. And if we don't get Pence, because he goes down in the Russian investigation, then we get Ryan. And if we don't get Ryan, then we get Hatch. I mean, it's just like, oh, I, I don't know how we got to this place. Okay. And lastly, because we're running a little bit over here, um, Lake Erie has been in the news again. Lake Erie is still struggling with the water pollution that caused the city of Toledo to declare their water unsafe for human consumption. I think it's been two years running. The pollution is caused largely by runoff from large agricultural entities, and that is both crops and confi- uh, concentrated area feeding operations, otherwise known as CAFOs. Agriculture is largely immune from the laws that govern other polluting industries, and problems like this in Toledo, as well as those documented, well documented on this show, uh, in the issues in Des Moines at the Des Moines Waterworks, and um, that whole unbelievable scandal um, where, in fact, the governor of of Iowa has now taken away the control of the waterworks from the state, from the Des Moines Waterworks, which is a private entity, and placed it squarely within the um, confines of the state, um, so as to avoid the unfortunate lawsuits that uh, Bill Stowe was pursuing against agricultural commun- uh, counties up north of Des Moines. But anyway, it shows that you know, industrial agriculture should be regulated as any other industry when it operates on a scale that produces that much pollution. But don't hold your breath waiting for that to happen. Anyway, that's it for the Joys and Sorrows segment. We're going to have a short sponsor drop, and then we will be right back with Professor Andrew F. Smith. We're going to be talking about his unbelievable effort, which is entitled Food in America. It's a three-volume tome, and we are going to plumb the depths. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm Mike Calameco, host of Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Bob Moore, founder of Bob's Red Mill, as well as Ray and Tom Williams, who've worked with Bob for years and co-own an organic farm in eastern Oregon and Washington. Ray, Tom, why is organic farming so important to your family? It's all a matter of the soil is a source of nutrients. So you increase organic matter of the soil, you increase the water holding capacity. Water is becoming increasingly scarce. So in terms of sustainability, we don't think it's the only answer, but it's one answer, and it's the answer that we're trying to pursue. It's been a challenge, and it's been fun, because it it is different, and we're learning how to do it for the last 10-plus years. We're not just doing organic. We're doing organic to high standards. Bob, why did you choose to partner with Ray and Tom? Oh, goodness. Well, because they're the best farmers in Oregon, and they're close, and they have a bunch of acres, I think about 10,000, over in in eastern Oregon and Washington. They're wonderful farmers, and their family have been farmers over there uh, for many, many years. It's really important that you have long-term relationships, and we've enjoyed a long-term relationship with Bob's because there are a lot of challenges to organic farming. You simply don't have as many tools as a conventional farmer, and so you have to rely on longer-term solutions. Knowing that you have a market is absolutely critical. The margins in farming are not that great, so if you grow the stuff and you can't sell it, you have a real problem. And we know with Bob's that we have a market. and. Uh, We turn out high-quality grains, and they buy them, and it all works well. Learn more about Bob's Red Mill and their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. We're back. <laughs> I was like t- telling my Airbnb story. Um, this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I am your host, Katie Kiefer. And today I have in the studio with me, which is a total pleasure. Um, Andrew F. Smith, he is a writer and lecturer on food and culinary history. I'm going to read this bio. He serves as the general editor for the Edible series, which is published by Reaction Press. Reaction, of course, is my publisher for my book. Um, he also teaches food studies at the New School University in New York, which is where we met because I took his course. Um, he has written or edited 29 books, including the three-volume Oxford Encyclopedia on Food and Drink in America 
published by Oxford University Press, Sugar, A Global History, Savoring Gotham, A Food Lover's Companion to New York City, and Fast Food, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry. He has completed Food in America, The Past, Present, and Future of Food, Farming, and the Family Meal, scheduled for release just a couple of months ago. And um, it focuses on food controversies related to the environment, nutrition, and health, as well as the economy. And that is what brings him to the show today. Um, wow, what an accomplishment, what an achievement, Food in America, a three-volume set. Um, tell us a little bit about what each volume represents and um, you know what, they, what they're going to bring to people who want to learn more about the food system. Uh, the first volume is on the environment, and it includes a history of food and the environment, beginning with the Ice Ages. I just want you to know I begin Whoa. at the beginning and move forward. I'm a good historian. <laughs> I, deal with, I deal with everything. And, I, and for me, I was, that was an absolute delight to put together the first, the history, and then looking at 10 of the controversies that are related to food and the environment, of which food waste is one. And right. the second one is on food, health, and nutrition, which deals with all the controversies, or deals with 10 of the controversies related to food uh, and nutrition issues. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, I, I learned a lot putting that together. I'll phrase it that way. And the final one's on food and the economy. And, I, and that also has 10 major topics that um, we, I took a look at that tried to say, what is the relationship to food and the economy? And the food plays a major role in the American economy from, from globalization to your, your local, um, local community. So to me, putting all that together into three volumes was uh, a joy. And it was uh, something that I'd been working on actually actually for more than 10 years by wow. and teaching teaching my classes at the new school. Well, I mean you're you're I mean just the fast food, the good, the bad and the hungry must have been um, sort of source material for you. For- no, really? <laughs> How did why would you guess such a thing? Well, I know, that's, right? that's part of the part of the issues. I've written a lot, and I could yeah. take material that I had written uh, for other things, obviously revise it and add material in, sure. and and put it into a different context. And uh, for me, my goal wasn't to say this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This my goal was really to say these are the best arguments that I could find on these different issues, right. and and do to the best of my ability to do to express those views fairly. Uh, now, people looking at the from either perspective would not, may not agree with that, but but that was my goal. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. <laughs> so, um, how did you how did you decide what to put in, though? I mean, because there's, I mean, every single one of those, you know, each volume has so many opportunities. Um, how did you sort of winnow out to the point where you? felt like you had achieved the most important um, topics to explore in those essays. I, I literally started with a, a long list of about 60 or 70 items, and mm-hmm. then I was able to combine some so that, right. like with this one, as you noted, I dealt not just with food uh, waste, but also with packaging, food packaging, yeah. which which to me is connected, but not not to people who are really concerned with just with food waste. And right. so also with labeling issues. So labeling issues ended up at three different places, in, uh, whether genetically modified ingredient labels or you're dealing with food mm-hmm. safety or lots of other things. So the answer is it was a really, not, not a chessboard particularly, but you really had this large category and I tried to check each one off and so that I dealt with issues. that I would have loved to have not been limited to 10. That was the publisher's. Uh, in each yeah. volume, in each in each volume, and the publisher also wanted the essays of about equal size, which also um, is creates another problem because some of the essays I ended up with like twenty or thirty pages on, and others I ended up with three or four, and so mm-hmm. therefore he had to go start going around. So the answer is, it's it's partly that. Um, it was the format that was given to me um, and the issues that I started with and the, the issues that I've been dealing with in my food controversies class at the new school. Absolutely. And also because you're the editor of the Edible series, including my editor and including the food controversies books that are being published you know, what are the other books in that series? You wrote the snack food book. We have book. genetically modified ingredient. Right. Uh, and we have about 10 others that are under contract, but we're looking for authors. We're looking for authors yeah, who have you perspectives on, on food issues. They don't have to be fair. They have to be, they have to have a perspective and they have to be able to support it. And so yeah. uh, we genuinely are, are open to ideas. Absolutely. You hear that, people? You too can. Hint, hint. <laughs> I will not comment further. 
it is nice to see your name in print. Um, that's a real perk. And then, of course, you realize that you're immortalized in print forever. Um, although I don't think this book is in the Library of Congress, is it? Uh, These books I haven't checked. Most of, the, most of them are. Are uh, they? Yeah. Okay, well, then I feel really good about my efforts in that case. Let's make this all about me, Andy. No. <laughs> That's, right. a, that's a good topic. <laughs> no, but we wanted to talk about food waste. Oh, and, okay. um, and that is an amazing and huge topic. And you mentioned before we started um, before we started the program um, that even the definition of food waste is kind of a naughty problem. So why don't you just unpack that for a second? Um, and then we can talk about where most food waste takes place right. and who's doing what. Right. Well, the, the problem is how do you define food waste? Do yeah. you include packaging, for instance? And the answer is most of those who really focus on food waste, no, no. We don't deal with that. We just deal with edible food that is produced that is intended for human consumption. Mm-hmm. So that excludes food that's, uh, that goes into pet food. That, that excludes that which is uh, produced ethanol and, and so all sorts of other things that right. are excluded from that definition. So that's the typical definition. But then the question is what's waste? Uh, and uh, farmers will, tomato farmers, for instance, will have uh, workers go through th- their field three or four times and pick tomatoes, and then arrives at a point where it's not financially viable, and they come in sure. and they shred shred all the all the stuff that's left. It's because it's it's not financially useful. So is that wasted food or not? And um, many people now say it is, but then it's composted. So is compost waste and and so you right. have all sorts of definitional issues and then you have all sorts of statistical problems that are associated with it so how much waste is really produced by this and you have wide discrepancies partly depending on your definition and partly depending on how you go out and try to measure your definition and so you have vast differences in terms of uh, estimates on food waste uh-huh and um you talked a little bit about, or you didn't talk a little bit, but let's start with where is the most waste taking place? Is that in a grocery store? Is that in a restaurant? Is it in the home? Is it on farm? Where are we? I know it's hard. Again, it goes back to that statistical issue you just mentioned, but where, where do you think most food waste is taking place? Well, it depends on where you are and in what country you're in. So uh, you have waste issues that are uh, related to production and uh uh, food preparation in in developing countries because you have lack of infrastructure and you mm-hmm. don't have the ability to transport as well as you do here. So at least in many much of the developed world, the, the issues are at the beginning of the food cycle. Uh, in in the United States and in Europe and and Oceania, the food waste is by far the most important thing is in the home. Uh, so um, it's the best estimate is in the United States. It's like 60% of the wasted food is, in fact, home. And when you include uh, home-facing industries like supermarkets, for mm-hmm. instance, and restaurants, then it's 81%. So uh, you have this huge percentage. Wow. And so it's... Um, it's many in many ways the food waste issue is us, um, and we need to deal with it. Absolutely. So, what are some of the strategies that are being deployed to combat food waste? Well, there's th- there are literally thousands of different strategies, and, and, and every day somebody comes up with some new mm-hmm. idea, and some of them are a bit far-fetched, but most of them are it. They're creative, and you've got startups all over the place. The first thing is, um, obviously, if farmers, it doesn't pay them to pick their own. Why not have people who are working in food banks come out and glean the food that's there? And so gleaning has now become an important part. So the farmer gets to know that the food is actually going to be used in a food bank for people who are hungry. Um, The people who are hungry get food that they wouldn't have had otherwise, uh, and that's, that's one of the solutions that has been common in Europe and is increasingly common in the United States. So you've got food bank relationships with farmers. And then you've got junk that comes out of food processing. And now it's not considered junk anymore. It's considered a resource. And so what can you do with that resource? And so um, you have... Uh, bread being converted into um, uh, beer, for instance, which will be a, a new operation here in New York City, moving from UK to the. To oh, is New that York. right? Um, and so you have uh, you have all sorts of other ingredients that can be converted into something else. So rather than look at uh, at waste as waste, you look at it as a resource to convert something else. Huh. And so they've got all these different programs that are startups out there that are using stuff that comes out of commercial operations, and there's a lot of it, like like your 
your coffee grounds from Starbucks and other things. If you can collect them and you can put them into one place, you can convert them into something good. So that's the second mm-hmm. goal. The third goal is uh, to educate uh, consumers and homemakers that you don't need to throw everything out. And uh, much of it can be used uh, for subsequent meals and much of it can be composted and much of it can be converted into biogas, and uh, which is methane, which is natural gas. And right. you've got a thousand things you can do with it. And uh, what's exciting to me about food waste is that there's no day that goes by without some new idea that comes along. That's right. Well, I mean, you mentioned labeling, and I know that there's a lot of controversy about sell-by dates. And um, sell-by dates are probably the leading one of the leading causes of discarding food before it's actually spoiled. Well, the, the prob- there's many problems associated. First, there's 50 different systems of, of labeling food, and so wow. and not... It's now many of the producers are are beginning to use similar systems, but there's a sell by date which tells uh, grocery stores that you this time now that all food products are going to deteriorate over time, whether they're packaged or whether they're in a bottle or a can or whatever. Mm-hmm. You need to be aware that that it's going to deteriorate after this point. Does it mean that it's not edible? It's perfectly edible and may taste great, uh, but um, but obviously the producer doesn't want. Uh, you opening up a package and seeing it's bad and then getting a bad idea or the supermarket that sells you the product doesn't want to get a bad reputation. Right. And so that's the one thing. And then the use by date, which is now becoming consistent and saying after that date, there could be safety issues associated with it. So those are at least the two concepts um, that are being put out. But eight to eight to 12% of the food that goes into supermarkets that are packaged food is is thrown out because it's nearing the sell-by uh, date. And uh, the food is perfectly edible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no reason on why it and minimally can't be donated to a food bank or it cannot be used by people who want to pay less for the food when it comes right. in. And so they've got these now systems of supermarkets that are trying to figure out ways of, of preventing waste. They have to pay the transportation to get rid of it. So why not and if they can donate it to a food bank, then they get a tax deduction. So everybody can win. You know, I, I feel like the United States lags behind other countries or other developed countries in developing strategies for dealing with this. For example, in France, a couple of years ago, they passed that law that said that grocery stores could no longer throw out food. They have to donate it. Um, and then in Denmark, we were talking about this earlier. Um, I have a friend who started the sort of like grocery store seconds. You go in and you pay sort of what you want for stuff that is, you know, has a sell by date or whatever. Um, and, and there seemed to be like a lot of, of um, a lot of organizations paying more attention to that these issues overseas than I think is happening here, although I'm going to wait for you to correct me on that. But I just, uh, I, I feel like there's an imperative in um, that is being driven by trade groups like the Grocery Man- Manufacturers Association um, that wants to continue with business as usual because it drives profit more. And I'm wondering if you can kind of deconstruct that a little bit for me. I mean, I, I'm constantly a conspiracy theorist because yes. I'm a Watergate baby. <laughs> um, so I'm always thinking about the man, the man trying to screw the the little man like us. Um, but isn't it true that, like, you know, if you have to discard and then you're constantly making people come back to the grocery store to buy more because they have to discard something because of the sell-by date, is that you're, you're asking about 10 different questions. Here. I know. The I, first, know. I the, always do that. The first, you know um, that. In, uh, the, the European Union has had waste in general as a major topic internal to Europe uh, for the last 20 years. Yeah, so why haven't we and, had that? No, that's waste in general. And then they've been focusing for at least the last 15 years on food waste. So yeah. And so it's, they've engaged in public relations programs. They've, in, they've uh, assisted programs that convert food waste into methane and natural gas. They've uh, done everything they can to prevent food waste from going into landfills. There are a number of communities now in Europe, uh, Milan being one of the largest, that now uh, prevent anybody from throwing out food uh, waste. And so we're talking homes now. So they have to figure mm-hmm. out some other way to not put it in with the rest of the junk that you toss out. And so it's being now preserved and being collected and being converted into methane or compost or both. So you've got all sorts of programs that are underway in Europe and have been underway there for a while. There are all sorts of programs going on in the United States, too, but they don't get the visibility. Um, 
San Francisco is a good example of a city that is now doing everything they can to prevent food waste. Um, and uh, California, the state of California has done what it can to pass laws to prevent as much waste as possible. And uh, so you've got good things that are going going on but there's nobody there uh, that you know it doesn't make the head pay, the headlines in the New York Times when a new project comes off so mm-hmm. you don't have a, a strong fe- federal educational effort saying we need to do this and here's the reason and the main reason um, that the Europeans give are, t- are twofold. One, it's in your financial interest not to waste food. Right. And then secondly, it's in uh, uh, food waste is a major contributor to climate change. And so Europeans are much more concerned about climate change than are many Americans, and including the current administration. So, You're kidding. So, so there's not as much of an interest here to do the promotion. But there are really great things that are going on. Uh, there's a, a compost effort in Colorado that takes... Um, uh, uh, the remains of um, the, the the cow cattle waste that that is that comes out of um, concentrated animal feeding operations and whatnot, and takes human waste and and combines that with organic waste and creates a huge amount of uh, methane that's put into the natural gas system and mm-hmm. and 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 is the is the one thing that actually fuels the trucks that goes picks up the waste and so you've got these really good things that are going on and right. um, one of, one of my interests in the topic is to give some visibility to those programs yeah no i mean I, when i went to visit the fort collins processing plant they had that anaerobic digestion thing going on and you know it cost them 2 million dollars which is a drop in their profit bucket. I mean, you know, really, they could all be doing this, but... <clears throat> My estimate is probably 100 communities in America now have uh, anaerobic uh, digestion programs. Amazing. Program, so. Well, we can only hope that that continues. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, packaging, because you spend quite a bit of time on that essay talking about packaging, and I was really kind of blown away by um, uh, by the statistics that you, you know, described. Of, uh, for example, fast food packaging... Um, and then there's the transition from styrofoam to paper. Let's let's talk a little bit because it you know, gets confusing. Yes, it does. But I mean the styrofoam thing or the you know the what is it called? What is the other name for styrene, it? Polystyrene. Styrene. Styrene. Polystyrene. Yeah. I mean that's still extensively used in grocery stores as well. For like all packaged meats come in a styrene polystyrene tray. Yes. And Mostly, the, uh, the problem is when you put the uh, styrofoam or polystyrene into a landfill, it breaks up into many, uh, many yeah. particles, and, and and it won't it, it will never degrade, uh, or won't degrade uh, for tens of thousands of years. And so, right. uh, consequently, the fear is what's going to happen to that styrene if it if it goes into the water system and lots of other issues. And by the way, you have polystyrene in your body right now. I thought I'd mention that. I know that you're really excited about that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but it's terrifying. Well, it, um, and and it's even uh, plastic is even worse. I mean, a plastic will break down into many uh, you know many particles, and will if, if if it ends up in the ocean. There's there's a huge part of the Pacific Ocean that's called the the Great uh, Plastic uh, Wasteland, and so yeah. you've got fish now that you pick out of the deep deepest waters of the ocean and you will find that they have plastic in them and wow. so you begin to worry about uh, uh, about packaging in all types and uh, again Europeans are doing the best that they can to prevent uh, mm-hmm. packet food packaging in particular from um, from causing problems and the United States is just beginning to deal with those issues but there are some companies that have that tried their best to get rid of Starbucks for instance and, right. and a lot of the fast food operations uh, in part though they still have the polystyrene top, um, yeah. like this one right here. I thought I'd just right. mention that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, from and, Roberta. And 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 you still have um, um, you know lots lot of, of lots of issues. And the, and the answer is even if you take your paper cup and you put and you put wax on the outside, that has a problem too in the environment. And so it's not a simple solution of saying, well, it gets rid of styrofoam and then we're not going to have any problems. The answer is there are alternatives, and we need to make decisions. And, yeah. Uh, 
And even grocery bags, like those cheap, flimsy grocery bags that get given out by everybody. I mean, some places have banned those. Uh, some countries have banned them, and are now they're, they're at least requiring compostable bags, which are now available in many supermarkets. And at least the compostable bags break down after a few years, rather mm. than rather than the tens of tens of thousands of years that it may take for other other what things. Are the, to break what down. is that made out of? That compostable. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Wondering know. cellulose, maybe. I don't know. Um, let's talk a little bit but, about. Excuse, oh, sorry, can I ahead. come back to the back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some really exciting things that are happening on technology. Uh, so, for instance, um, meat is often covered in a, a, a plastic-like sheet that goes over the top of it. Absolutely. And and now they have the ability to actually uh, change the color of the outside of the package once the meat starts to go bad. And so uh, you can actually look at the rather than try and open the package. You can see if it starts to go bad that the color of the of the packaging will tell you that you got to use it real fast. Wow. Uh, so those are just small things. And whether we like soda or not, you can look at the light weighting that they're doing on the soda bottles and then on the water bottles. Sure. And that the goal there was to, to reduce the amount of plastic that was going into them. So companies are aware of it. They're trying to do some things. Um, and uh, so it's not all not all negative. Right. Well, it's a difficult problem to solve. I can certainly see that. I mean, we're so used to convenience and plastic represents convenience. It's portable. It's, you know, impermeable. It's yeah, I totally get it. You asked before, why is there so much of a problem with homes? And the answer is convenience is the issue because none of us want to take the time to separate the food scraps from the other junk. And none of us want to right now. We take ours in every week into the green market. Uh, and soon New York will have um, food waste collection throughout the entire city. That's scheduled for 2018. And other communities have done the same thing. And I, and I think that's good progress. So. Oh, I think that's going to be made. Yeah, I'm excited about that. But people complain bitterly. I don't want to do this, and it smells, and there's rats, and there's insects, and it does this, and it does that. So um, people well, need to be, we need education, which is one of the reasons yeah. why I'm here. Right, <laughs> uh, to absolutely. Help, to help all of the listeners out there understand that um, food waste is a problem. It needs to be dealt with, and, and yeah. all of us can make a big difference. Absolutely. Um, you point out that with um, with all the food that is wasted, we could actually eliminate hunger in the United States. So yes, the talk best, about that a little the bit. The best estimate today is that there are 41 plus million people that are food insecure. Right. The best estimate is 40% of the food that is prepared for human consumption um, is wasted. All you've got to do is divert a small portion of the food waste into the to those who are food insecure. And there, there's yeah. no reason on why everybody in the United States cannot be fed. There's no reason on why everybody in the world cannot be fed with the food currently being produced. Produced. That's not counting in major new technological production that's going to right. increase. Or growing uh, more meat. Or growing the, or, well, I didn't mention meat. But, <laughs> but, but the answer is you've got the solution there. What we don't have is the distribution system that, that will help solve that problem. None, no right. one has figured that out easily. And so there's all sorts of efforts like the grocery stores that now you pay what you feel like paying or what you can pay or those that are offering uh, – food that is close to the sell-by date um, for decreased price or mm -hmm. the ugly fruit problem, most of, ugly fruit and vegetables. No, none of us like the looks of the fruit. We're not going to buy I'm not going to buy it. Uh, so, um, so it, but if the price were half of what it was, oh, yeah, that's okay with me. Who cares, you know? Well, right. And so we have these images of what food should be, and I think that's part of our education process. We need, we need, to, we need to rethink what we're doing as individuals. Well, I, I also have to point out that when you go to the farmer's market um, a lot of times the fruit and vegetables is not especially beautiful especially if it's an organic farm and yet we'll be happy we'll happily pay twice the amount because it tastes good yeah uh, so, uh, but uh, if you're going into a supermarket, I mean, they've, they've done everything they can to prevent, first of all, any of the ugly f fruit and vegetables from getting into the market. Yeah. And then the instant that there's a blemish on any fruit or vegetable, it's automatically awesome. picked out and tossed away. Well, if even at our homes, people do this rather than just cut out the brown spot yeah. and, and consume the rest of the apple or the pear or whatever, people just toss the whole thing out because food's, food's inexpensive. I mean, the, you ask why is there a problem? And my answer to you, the food costs have dropped from 40 
7% of uh, American take-home pay in, uh, in uh, 1900 to today to, to almost about 10% of your take-home pay. So it's easier just to toss things out and not worry about it yeah. rather than do what our grandparents did, which is my grandmother saved everything. I don't think she ever threw out anything. And what she did have to throw out went into compost. Yeah, same. Uh, that's how I grew up as well. That, I think that it's mentality a, is has disappeared largely. I mean, and, and in I'm the past, food, food waste has, has been an issue that's come and gone. I mean, during World War One and World War Two, for instance, there were major campaigns, and food waste declined by uh, forty to fifty percent because there was huge educational efforts saying, "Don't waste food. We need." This we need. If you're going to have pork fat, we need that because it's got glycerin in it. And we can make nitroglycerin out of it. So there was places where you would take your pork fat and put it in in order wow. to support the war effort. And my grandparents were telling me this, but then I found out that is in fact what what was what parts of things that were going on in, in many cities. So you've got efforts that succeeded, and it just became a national priority. Food waste and dealing with it is not an American national priority at this time. Right, and needs to be, obviously. Um, let's talk about school food, for instance. Yep. For, yeah, because you point out that that's a place where there's a lot of waste. But I read a study, um, a Harvard study recently, that said one reason that kids do not eat their fruits and vegetables, which is, you know, and this is a very Republican, I mean, we'll get to that in a second, but one of the reasons they don't eat the fruits and vegetables at school lunch is that the length of their lunch break is so brief that they really literally don't have the time. They'll consume the main portion of the meal, and then they have to leave. And so that's why a lot of times the the fruit or the vegetables are the you know they're the last thing to be consumed, and they don't get consumed, and so I, they end I, up in the bin. But that's the Republican. That's also a very Republican argument for not giving kids fruits and vegetables at lunchtime. So I, I'm wondering where how that can be combated and how how we could make that program more successful. Well, at first, I haven't read the study, so um, I, I, I don't want to comment on that. But okay. I have spent a lot of time in elementary schools and in secondary schools in my prior life. Um, and all I can do is say uh, I looked at people, looked at students that had plenty of time to eat, and they still threw out the apples and the, and the fruit. And it had nothing to do with the amount of time that they spent. They just didn't want it. And, and the food service was required to give it and put it on every single tray that uh, came through. And so uh, I had, in one case, some of the students at the new school go into elementary schools, take the trash cans, dump them up, and start counting the stuff and wow. counting how many apples actually had a bite out of them. And, and part of it depended on where they were. I think the issue there is uh, kids are um, addicted to fat and, and salt and, and, uh, and sugar. sugar. Yeah. And so, uh, th and I'm sorry to say, the fruit that's frequently served um, in in school cafeterias aren't are does, doesn't match what they what kids expect to have uh, in terms of good good food. And so, uh -huh. I think that's an educational issue. And you don't have any education in schools about wh what nutrition is important and why do kids need to eat apples and oranges. And I think that's that's an issue, uh, and uh, that's separate from why they're tossing things out. Uh, so my, my attitude was, why can't you convert the apples that you are required to give them into food that the kids would consume? Right. So, um, Like applesauce. Yes, um, but, but obviously a, 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 eating a, a whole apple is better than applesauce, but eating applesauce is better than throwing the apple out. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. And squeezing the orange or cutting it into sections would probably encourage them to eat it as well instead of having to peel it. Because I know that was a big, that was a total deal breaker for my kid. I mean, I've been, I was peeling her oranges until she was about 14. <laughs> um, let's see, where are we here? Uh, oh, here we go. Let's talk about seafood for a second. Yeah. I was really stunned by the statistics that huge, you quoted. Huge percentage of seafood is wasted. The, you said the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future concluded that about 2.3 billion pounds of seafood, billion with a B, almost 50% of America's seafood ended up in the garbage. And yes. of the wasted seafood, 330 million pounds were wasted in the distribution and retailing. Yes. And 573 million pounds were due to bycatch waste, which really yes. shocked me. And consumers wasted an estimated 1.3 billion pounds. Yep. What? It, if it smells, you, if you it toss smells, it out. I, I, I don't eat fish because I, I find it revolting. But, I mean, 
you know, if if Eric Repair makes it for me, I'll eat it. But otherwise, <laughs> right. Well, here here you come back. To, I mean, there's lots of other complications on those statistics, and part of it is uh, the bycatch issue. For instance, if you sure. have a if you have a, a 40 mile uh, net that you drag along the floor of the ocean, you're going to end up with some some fish or seafood that you can sell, and and a vast majority of it you can't. That's right. And so you just toss it out. Now, most of the time, it's going to die, and so um, or it's going to be uh, harmed in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be eaten very quickly by somebody else. So you've got you've got that type of issue. But even when you uh, start collecting food that you uh, collecting fish that or seafood that you want and that you can sell, uh, much of that is going to deteriorate over time. And you've got to process it immediately on the ship and from the ship. Then you have to t- get it into the canning factory or the factory that's going to do the preparation or the warehouse, the auction and then, house. And then you have to freeze it yeah. uh, or or not, and it, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a complicated thing. So. Um, yeah, at least fifty percent of the seafood uh, is wasted. Um, and, and how can that be changed? I mean, that seems like a really that seems like almost an impossible. I mean, given especially with the bycatch issue, I don't really see how that can be changed without completely abandoning the you know uh, the netting, the whole that whole sort of trawler or long, or long lines long that lines. can go for miles. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, but the, that's not going to happen globally. It, no. it, it is, uh, by the way, there are rules and regulations within the territory of the United States, like the, the two hundred mile limit. But yeah. most of the fish are not caught in the United States waters anymore. So um, we import eighty so percent of our fish. Actually, it's it's ninety percent of the of the sh- of the shrimp, and it's uh, I mean you start going down the list of mm-hmm. the types of foods, and and much of that is uh, caught uh, in Asia or off the Asian oceans. It's farmed. It's, or, for, or farmed and, shrimp, and it's yeah. frozen and then it's sent over here nine months later you, you can eat it. And so there's lots of issues that are connected with, um, with fish and seafood. But that's not, by the way, the largest percentage of food waste is in fruits and vegetables and 60% of the fruits and vegetables that are grown for human consumption are never make it to your stomach. They are tossed out. Wow. And that's because they don't conform to uniform size, color, um, or have blemishes fruit, on them, the or are not issue. purchased in time. I mean, if you if a mm-hmm. supermarket gets too much in, and the customers decide they don't like apples this week, um, they're going to have a ton of apples, and they got to get rid of them. And right. so, uh, or you have them, and you put them in your shelf, and you forget about them. And then, guilty as charged. No, not not us. But it's all those other people. <laughs> So, so the quick answer is, um, yeah, we, and we need to be aware of these issues. Now, one of the things that you haven't asked me is, why did I get excited about food waste? Yeah, that's right. And, I why did you get excited about food question. waste? Good question. I was hoping you'd ask. <laughs> and and the, the easy answer is, of all the issues, of the, all the 30 issues that I dealt with in these three volumes, this is the one issue which everybody can win and there is, yes, there's certainly controversies that are associated with it, but it's something that if farmers can have more food picked uh, they and can sell it, they win. Or if they can give it away and get a tax deduction, they can win. Right. If food processors don't have to pay to cart away the stuff that they can't use and that's used in recycling for other purposes, then they win. And if retailers cannot have to force to, to get rid of uh, food that approaches sell-by dates, um, they can win. And consumers, in the best estimate, Americans could save as much as $1,500 annually by not wasting food. Wow. So if you're given a choice of saying throw out food or figure out a way to reuse it or or not buy it in the first place or do all the other things or do better planning, those are the yeah. issues that can save us money. And so I looked at that and said, that's a topic that, that everybody can win and uh, there's no reason on why we should be wasting what we're doing. And I haven't even started talking about uh, the environment and I haven't talked about the, the hunger issues that are associated in America where you can convert food waste and not food waste. We can convert food that would be wasted into into food that could be consumed by other people uh, and you can save it going into landfill in which uh, about 30 percent of the um, greenhouse gases that are produced in landfill are, are re- directly or indirectly related to food yeah. uh, and so food systems. And so it seems to me that everybody can win. And uh, that's one of the reasons on why I love the issue. Well, it's a fascinating problem. I mean, it's it's so overwhelming and so ubiquitous. And I think part of it has to do with the way we shop and the fact that we don't, uh, that people don't cook as much as they used to. I mean, this is like one of my big hobby horses, but 
But, um, you know, people tend to go to the grocery store one time a week or two times a week, right? And they do a big shop and then they bring it home and then... Like you said, you know, stuff gets shoved into the back of the refrigerator, you forget about it, or you buy prepared food and you never end up eating it, or, you know, that's part of the problem, I feel like, the way we shop. Instead of, in Europe, you shop every day, pretty much, right? Uh, and mean, you shop for the me- specifically for that meal. Right, well, that's it. Most of us don't take a list of food that we're going to buy when we go to the grocery store. We see something on sale, buy one, get one free, right. uh, or alternately, the huge containers of food. Oh, yeah, that's cheap. I can make a, I can, right. this would be a good deal. And it is a good deal if you can use those before the sell-by date, but it isn't a good deal if you're going to waste it. And so, uh, consequently, because the price of food is so low, most of us just don't spend the time necessary to figure out what to do with the food that we have. And it's part of the de-skilling of America. I think Americans in the home, and particularly in, in cooking and food preparation, don't have the skills that, that uh, homemakers did have 30 years ago, yeah. uh, and certainly not 50 years ago with my grandparents. They would have never thrown out 99% of what unfortunately ends up in the way, not in our, not in our waste can, but other people's. So. That's right. Yeah, we would never no, do not, that. No, not us. <laughs> I happen to have a really large refrigerator back from the day when I was a caterer. You talked about you talked about solutions, so I want to come. They're now smart refrigerators. Now they're mainly used in commercial operations, but they they have now RFID chips in them, so that if it uh, or sensors, and if you have food that actually has an RFID chip indicate in it, that will tell you exactly what's what's in your refrigerator. And it has there are uh, there's others with uh, cameras that go on that do all levels, and no so all way. you need to do if you sync it with your cell phone, you. Go to the market, take a look at what you've got in there, and you can see the milk carton there, and you can see if the level of it, oh, I really don't need that. And uh, so if there are systems now that are admittedly they're they're being sold to the general public, but they're experimental and they're trying to solve those problems. There's now some systems that will in fact tell you exactly what you have in your kitchen, uh, not just in the refrigerator, but also on your shelf, if if they're fitted with RID. RFID uh, chips or sensors that you can then determine exactly what's there. So when you go to the store, you know you already have five cans of beans and you really don't need to buy the sixth right. or seventh. <laughs> You're laughing. Although but you can never th- have too many beans the, in your house. The smart opinion. refrigerator, by the way, also have um, they have uh, computers on the door, and uh-huh. so they will give you they will give you recipes to deal with the food that's inside the refrigerator. Come on. And, Andy. Yes, and so uh, these are these things are are now available for uh, for for you. They're say they're being sold, and I, I presume that they will have vast improvements in the near future. But those are things that I think are in the future that help us. So at least avoid the problems of what's in the back of the refrigerator. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I could store a corpse in mine. It's that big. It's an industrial refrigerator. <laughs> you, need, you need some sensors that are going to go in there and going to help you figure that yeah, out. Man. I, I mean, periodically I excavate. It's a pretty scary situation. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but it, is, it does happen. Um, I wanted to just talk about this one last thing. before We don't have to end quite now, but um, in November of 2015, the EPA and the USDA hosted the first National Food Recovery Summit. Yep. Talk about that a little bit. And what you think will happen to it going forward? What will happen to it now? (laughs) I could have told you what would have happened to it in 2015, (laughs) and it would have been very positive. At this point, uh, I mean, my feeling is um, uh, much of the concern on food waste is from the EPA. The EPA, as you well know, has lost um, large numbers of its professional staff. Sure, Um, and and my suspicions are that they they're going to have to make priority decisions as to what they're going to focus on. My hope is that they're going to see what I. What I mentioned a few minutes ago, food waste is something everybody can win on, whether or not you believe in climate change. It is something that can be financially of of value to Mm -hmm. everybody in the food system. And so my hope is that that will sell them. On the other hand, should that be the priority of the EPA? And the answer is, I don't know what the priorities are going to be going forward. So that's part of the issue. And likewise with the USDA, they're less concerned with pollution. They're less concerned with landfill. They're less concerned with a lot of issues. And so my suspicions are that uh, when uh, President Obama made the commitment to the United States to reduce food waste by 50 percent by 2030, my suspicions are there's not going to be a lot of progress at the federal level.
level. That said, states are doing good things, cities are doing good things, and so we need to move our focus to help those who want to want to make a difference. And if it's not the federal government, fine. Then we we need to work on state level and city and community level. Right. That's what I was thinking. That you know, it. it I mean, it says it's a national food recovery summit, but I mean, it could be, you know, it could still go forward even without the the oversight of the federal government. I'm surprised the USDA doesn't have more of, of a um, finger in this pie, even even under the current administration. But you know, it's definitely something that all states can participate in. It's it's uh, it's it's uh, one issue that everybody can win. And by the way, eliminating landfills is a major part of not just food waste, but of waste in general. And and at least in Europe, they have focused on the circular economy, where everything that is produced that would historically be considered as waste is actually considered a resource for doing something else. Right. And that's beginning to happen in the United States. It's been a focus on in Europe for at least the last 20 years. And I think that's something that we can all win on. If you can create a startup that's going to use the junk that comes out of, uh, of operations that um, have to throw it away anyway, yeah. why not? Um, and so uh, if, if people can see it's in their self-interest and business can see it's in their self-interest, then I think the prog- progress is going to be made. I think food waste is such an issue that it will continue to have progress, though not as much with without federal leadership. Uh, and so my concern is what will happen in the next few years in the federal leadership. But that means the rest of us need to come on Heritage Radio and start yeah. talking about it. That's right. Well, I'm just thinking, like, if I were a venture capitalist, I would get interested in doing something about this. Does- like, I could see it being a very lucrative revenue stream um, to figure out a distribution system uh, that connects, you know, farms or restaurants to food banks. or I, I didn't even mention there's at least uh, 150 apps, which I have located, that, that do exactly that. Is that, that right? That have restaurants that say at, at 9 o'clock in the evening, if you see you've got too much of this and you're not going to be able to sell it by the time you close, you can put that onto your app and you could either sell it at a reduced price or sell it or give it away uh-huh. uh, and, uh, and to a food a bank and, and take a tax deduction. Right. So, uh, and Likewise, supermarkets are doing the same thing, and uh, you now have the catering industry is a major contributor to food waste. And I would, yes. You have huge food service uh, operations that are going on that are feeding large numbers of people mm-hmm. at conferences or at hospitals or uh, in, in other areas. And and that is, there's a number of apps that focus on that and say, if you can, if you can reduce your food waste, you could first make more money. Uh, you sure. don't have to spend money on, on food that you're going to have to get rid of in some fashion. And, and if by chance you do have excess food, then you can put it into um, the the system and that food banks will then come over, pick it up, we'll take it off and, and give it to people who need it. And at the same time, you can get a tax deduction. So again, everybody can win. Everybody can win. Well, I think on that note, we'll call it a day here. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you back, Andy. And maybe we'll have you back for another talk about another issue in your mighty three-volume uh effort here. Food in America is the name of it. Um, Food in America, the past, present, and future of food farming and the family meal. Thank you very much for joining me today in the studio, Andy. I loved writing the book the books so and I and I love the interview. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you to Bob's Red Mill, my unbelievably generous sponsor. Thank you so much and thanks to Dave and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening folks. Bye bye. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.